Hey, Will I Like It listeners, do you like a good cup of coffee, one that's rich, flavorful, and ethically sourced? Then you need to check out Dynasty of Coffee, a Yorkshire-based online coffee business that offers a range of expertly crafted blends. All of their coffee is roasted to order to ensure freshness, and they're committed to nurturing the well-being of both individuals and the planet. Whether you're a fan of a bold, strong coffee or a smooth and mellow one, Dynasty of Coffee has a blend for you. Their four main blends are inspired by different British dynasties, Saxon, Viking, Tudor, and a decaf Hanoverian. So if you're looking for a delicious and ethically sourced cup of coffee, head to dynastyofcoffee.co.uk today and use the code SAXON10, that's SAXON, all capital letters, 10, at checkout for 10% off your first order. Enjoy! Welcome back to the Will I Like It podcast. I'm your host, Craig Brooks. And today my guest is Jason Buck. Um, I was going to say award-winning storyteller, I think is the best title, isn't it? That's well, that's well, it's actually I haven't I haven't ever actually won any awards. I've won prizes for storytelling. And prizes, I think, okay. I, when I said I used to describe myself as a prize-winning storyteller, and then a friend of mine said that sounded like a prize-winning marrow at a country fair. <laughs> award winning and if anybody ever asks you can explain so there you go so that's it so i'm a prize winning storyteller you're a prize winning what was the prize should we um <clears throat> there's a few there was one at, at a um the uh, the theater of uh of 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 sadness and and uh and comedy where i won best bard there were lots of different acts doing lots of different things of comedy stuff and i won best bard for that for doing some storytelling um yeah. I also won a, a, a small prize for one of my handmade books, which is where a lot of my stories, well, especially in the beginning, used to start. Um, and they also came second, so I like to say I won silver at the um, grand annual lying contest of 2016, uh, which was in London. So, so those are my those are my prizes, um, and I've got little things for them—a little sort of little silver chest and a little yeah. string of amber beads and uh, uh, bits and bobs like that. I kind of expected you to respond. Well, I got best turnip in the local <laughs> village. This is it. This is why, yeah. Prize winning storyteller. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at the size of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> you didn't say what prize, just a prize. <laughs> Precisely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. 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 Um, so I guess we should probably go back like, to your origin story, I guess. So, like, yeah. where do you start with becoming a storyteller? Like, have you always been a storyteller? Well, I think, well, it's it's either it's either a very short or very or, or a longer answer. The short answer is I've been a professional storyteller, as in people have been paying to to, to watch me perform since uh, 2015. So that's eight years now. Um, yeah. And I think lots of different storytellers, professional storytellers, and and, and uh, amateur storytellers come from lots of different ways. Um, but I didn't come up through the usual kind of way. I think of of uh, to sort of doing doing the clubs and doing a bit and, and waiting for I think so sort of hoping that someone would sort of pick me up, um, uh, and 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 raise me to the uh, the august level of of fame that all storytellers enjoy. No one no one's heard of storytellers. We don't get famous. It's it's not anymore. <laughs> um, but I actually used to. Um, I come from quite an arty family, and both my parents were they're both educators, but they were also sort of. 
um, performers, singers and uh, uh, amateur actors. And they both used to do sort of uh, readings of Charles Dickens and stuff in costume. My dad was a Charles Dickens mm -hmm. scholar. Um, so I've kind of got that as a background and some of this arty sort of stuff. You can see that made by made by my, my dear old late dad behind me, this lovely macrame. It's a nice tree god over here and big sort of battle banner thing that you can't quite see over there. Um, but I think it actually started with role playing games when I was about 13, playing Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and I've always really liked being the DM, the games master, the dungeon master, the one who creates yeah. the scenario and then and then kind of creates that for other people. And for me, it's always been less about the rules and more about it being like a collaborative, immersive experience. Or so I was always storytelling then. It was just it was a two way experience. Um, and I still yeah. do still do that, that gaming and it's, that's how I run my run my games. But that's how I got to telling stories, I think. That kind of answered my next question as well, because I was going to ask where it, where your interest in stories came from originally. Yeah. So mainly from the D&D &D aspect. I think D&D, &D, and I think I was just one of those kids yeah. who fantasy stuff. I like science fiction, but it was always the fantasy stuff. And then I think as you kind of grow up, the uh, the fantasy the, you know, fantasy stuff is is very accessible to you know to, to everyone, especially when you're younger. It's all sword, sorcery, and magic and monsters. And then as yeah. you kind of grow older, you then start to look into the older myths and then have a bit more patience with them because I think some of some of the some of the older, more traditional myths, whether they be British and well by British I mean sort of Celtic, Saxon, even Norse. Um, uh, or, or more sort of modern folk tales or, or, folk, or folk tales and stories from around the world. Quite a lot of the recorded versions and the written, written down versions um, are quite dull because they've mm. been translated by uh, academics. And so it's a very literal academic translation. So it's captured the wording um, as yeah. it but That doesn't necessarily make it a good story. So I think, yeah, started with a fantasy. Yeah kind of moved into kind of more the, the, the broader and I think the kind of like traditional stories. And that's still very much a lot of the stories I do is that mix of traditional stuff, whether it be Saxon, Viking, uh, Celtic, uh, Norse, um, or whether it be kind of uh, uh, new stories. And my new original stories are anything from, uh, I actually did a, did a story as, uh, from the point of view of a mammoth a while back, because it was a, it was a part archaeology and part storytelling show I was doing, up to modern yeah happening in the uh, the goth nightclubs of, of Camden Town so there's a, a good mix there so, so yeah people don't tend to know what a storyteller is so I've said to people like I'm speaking to Jason Buck who's a storyteller and we go, well, so do you write books like, no no he tells stories so I guess how, how did you discover that that was something that you could earn a living from um I think you're right in that especially in England not necessarily the rest of the UK but in England people don't really yeah. know what Tellers are, and when I tell people that, they're either completely confused, uh, and yeah, am I an author, or do I sit in the corner of the library on a small stool with a pat colourful patched coat, reading the Gruffalo to, to tiny children? Um, and it's difficult sometimes to, to explain what a storyteller is. But you see, when you kind of go, oh, I get it, you, I get it, you tell stories. In the same way mm. that a stand-up comedian, especially people who tell anecdotes, there's obviously. Mm very comedy focused, but it's that same thing of standing up and you're talking to an audience, you're talking to individuals, um, but your stories could be stories of adventure or sadness or romance or, um, or horror, um, uh, any sort of, any sort of genre, but it's that live, um, uh, live telling. Um, how did I realize that I could make a living from it? Uh, it's difficult to make a living from storytelling uh, because it is a bit, uh, it's not very well known. Um, and again, it's probably very, very similar to being a, a, a comedian. You sort of go around, you try to get gigs, you try to try to get bookings. Um, but I've also 
produced my own shows as well, whether those be in live venues or whether they be online. Um, mm. Whilst the kind of the um, uh, uh, the lockdown of 2020 was a you know, an awful thing to happen and there was great tragedy happening, it actually really helped me as a storyteller because suddenly I was able to produce stuff online that I hadn't thought about doing that before. Um, yeah. And reach people all around the world, and that's people who are you know who are who are um, who are in lockdown in in the states or in Europe um, uh, or Australasia, um, and also people who were were already sort of housebound, people who either couldn't um, uh, leave the house because of medical conditions or felt you know felt they couldn't, um, mm -hmm. uh, and so that really helped, and so that helped me kind of build build up an audience, much like but yeah, much like doing podcasts, kind of so you suddenly reach people who might not have heard about things. Yeah. Things. I think that's how I first came across you as well because we did that event for the Wassail in 2020. That's right, yeah, with Dawn Nelson, DD Storyteller. Yeah, I think she'd seen you, yeah, of, um, yeah, Rachel Farm, and then said, Let's do a New Year's Eve thing. I know this brilliant bloke who he will be able to do some food and some drink and stuff. And so, yeah, we had that great New Year's Eve with you yeah. sitting in absolute freezing weather, but in all your <laughs> kits, so you were all cozy and you were. Yeah. Was it a salt lamb or a lamb in a salt crust? Got so baked lamb, yeah, that's yeah. it. And brewing the apples, and we had everybody, lots yeah. of people joining in, and we had a hundred and something people, uh, or hundred and yeah. something cameras, uh, accounts joining in, and people, yeah, brewing wassail and following along the instructions, and then we tell stories in between, and uh, uh, yeah, that was a great evening. Yeah, I mean, I bought that on myself, really, because all Dawn asked me to do was, you know, you'd cut across to me in my kitchen and she'd give me a cider recipe. And it would just be because you did like stages, didn't you, through the night so people could, right. along. Yeah, so people could follow along. And I was like, well, I'll do it, but I want to make my own recipe. <laughs> yeah, all right. and, uh, and if I'm going to set out somewhere, I may as well do it in the garden with a fire because, you know, it looks a bit yeah. more authentic to what I do. Yeah. Um, and if I'm going to sit with a fire, I may as well cook something. <laughs> And you did. It just kind of evolved. Yeah, it was it was minus four. I remember. I remember sitting there thinking, because there was obviously there was the fire, but I could see the sort of plumes of steam coming out of your mouth when we kind of yeah up to you. Um, yeah, and I was I was I was worried about you, but you were kind of you assured me that with all your your clobber on, in the same way that yeah, people people in Saxon times didn't just all fall fall dead like flies the moment the weather got cold. You put yeah put weather cold weather clothing on. Yeah, and with the fire right in front of me, I have my feet underneath the firebox. So yeah, yes, keeps you fairly warm. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Um, so I guess yeah, if you're once you move into telling stories online, yeah, I guess that becomes a different way of telling stories because it's quite difficult because you don't really get like an audience feedback, laughs, or yeah, absolutely, uh, yeah. It's very difficult. Yeah. yeah, if you're doing comic stories, doing comedy stuff, it is really difficult. Yeah, because there's just absolute silence. Because I, I tend to be a bit authoritarian in the way I do my online stories, and I kind of, uh, I, uh, uh, yeah, everybody except myself and the other performers or the other um, uh, speakers are all all, all on mute. Um, yeah. uh, because otherwise, people forget and microphones are on, and you get people in the back who go, "Do you want a beer? Yeah, he's starting. He's starting now. Yeah, come on in." And that kind of comes through or as the case um of of that evening uh, and i don't know who it was so if you if oh i know where this is going <laughs> yeah yeah there was <laughs> as we started we'd been going around and we had a number of microphones switched on because we've been talking to a number of people and um we cut back to to dawn the other storyteller and she started to tell her story and as she the first words there was a resounding and audible fart uh from <laughs> 
somebody's somebody's and i just saw dawn's eyes flicker for a moment and then she the true professional just carried on uh, so what any any number of a whole bunch of microphones <laughs> so um yeah it is difficult online yeah um, but what there was a there was a big sort of debate i think in, in the storytelling community about is it still storytelling and the fact you couldn't look into your storyteller's eyes at uh, your audience's eyes yeah. uh, you couldn't do that but there's there's styles of story, there's a Chinese style of storytelling where you don't look at the people, you look beyond them and you and you talk so that you can remove yourself from, from the audience slightly so that you are creating an atmosphere but without looking into people's eyes. But also, yeah. when you're doing stuff online, you get to be able to talk to the audience quite confidentially sometimes. And you can use the camera like, like people do on telly. Um, so it's a yeah. different the, the the main thing I notice is that when people come up when people come to see my live shows um I'm six foot four which you can't really tell when I'm sitting down especially because my length's all my height's all in my legs and they kind of go oh god are you tall don't look that big on the television you know and I get I get a lot of that um yeah so I feel like Gandalf kind of turning up in Hobbiton sometimes <laughs> that reminds me because the first time we met, actually met in person was at Morford when he did the retelling of Wolf. yeah that's right yeah for you yeah and you were like stood in the, I was going to say in the clouds, but in the smoke that sits in the long haul, yeah. <laughs> like above the clouds. Yeah. I had this called a pool of smoke that was, yeah, just sort of here and a haze that um, I have to be very careful in that in that little Viking longhouse. So it, for the people who haven't been there, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful Viking longhouse. He's made, he's made a much bigger one now, hasn't he? Which takes a hundred people. It's halfway through. Yeah. Yeah. It's not finished yet. So yeah. this one takes about 40 people and it's great to, to, to be in and to sit around. But if uh, if you're moving backwards and forwards and you're tall, there is whacking great beams across the middle. So if I want to move on, oh, there's a great big fire sort of raised fire pit down the middle. So I have to be yeah. careful when I'm moving. Otherwise, I'll fall into the fire or smack my head on a beam. But then, yeah, the smoke goes up and it's it's sort of filtering out through the, the roof the roof holes but it does certainly come down and you know, my eyes streaming and uh, and starting to suffer from smoke inhalation as i'm trying to boom out beowulf what yeah to a, a room yeah. for uh, eager i'm not crying it's the smoke <laughs> absolutely yeah i remember the beautiful about yeah. someone just sort of said to me you're doing a stalwart job in that smoke you're doing well so yeah i could see that yeah yeah that but was it, a fun evening yeah it was a great evening it is a bit of a storyteller's curse, I've noticed, that when you go somewhere, people always say, especially if it's outside, oh, we could get a fire. And it'd be nice, you could stand around, you can have the fire going, and you and you do that. Yeah. And because when you're standing near the fire, and wherever you go, the smoke just, the smoke follows you. Um, and someone at a, at a show in the open air tried to explain that to me about um, convection currents. I remember this from school science. You know, you've got a ring of people and the air can't really get to it. So you're the only one standing up and moving around. So what happens is all the air comes in from one bit, and comes back out from the place you're standing. So so wherever you're standing in the hole, the smoke will come to you because you're that opening. Yeah. yeah. First. <laughs> all right, on, on the note of sort of watching hitting your head in that longhouse yeah. at Moorforge as well, I can remember at one point in the early days, if it rained a lot, the floor would become almost like a river with the water running through it. So David raised the floor and of course, all the tall people were coming in, not realizing he raised the floor. Oh, and they were used to the height. So they're used to like ducking the right amount, but they weren't ducking enough. And they would hit <coughs> their head on. Yeah. <coughs> yes. I think the floor had gone up like three inches or something. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I still bang my head on things. And you can people say, oh, God. And this will go, it's all right. 
I've been doing this for half a century now. Well, I haven't been six foot four for half a century. That's a lie. But for decades, you know, I've kind of I've been kind of banging my head on things, and I think it's probably got probably got quite tough. I'm I'm fairly good at hitting my head for a short ass. <laughs> I think I've hit my head more than most normal people. <laughs> beams. You go to places with the beams. That's why. Ah, oh, I don't know. It's like even here, like the the door to get in this building, like even I have to duck to go down. It's what, what are you in a hobbit hole or something? <laughs> it's an old outbuilding that's converted. Oh. So it, yeah, it was like a toilet block. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, I mean, I can see the door from here. So on me, yeah, I'd probably just about to about there on me, and I'm five seven. So that's about it's about there on me then. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> I yeah. always I always kind of joke to people that it's so that people have to bow when they come in and see me. <laughs> Do you know I once I once bought a tent almost entirely on that premise that if you looked from it from the top it was a bit like an igloo it had a circular bit and then a sort of a long bit and in, and what that actually was was two separate compartments and if you wanted yeah. to you could have them so you could have two separate bedrooms but I it was just for me camping and so I um I had the the round bit as a bedroom. Made sure I took a little seat with me. This is this is going to a a, a LARP event. Um, yeah. So I, I and t- no, nobody did unfortunately. But I was waiting. I opened the other end of the of the of the uh, the long passageway bit. So the idea was that when people came in, they would have had to have crawled on their hands and knees to come in to come in to talk to me. Well, I would have been sat at the top bit, you know, on a chair, looking imperious. In my heart, I was imperious yeah. and terribly dramatic. <laughs> That reminds me, it's a completely different different um, thing. But when I was at Midgard Block Festival in Norway a few years back, they had a secret camp for the band. Do you know Highland? Yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they had a separate encampment. Next, That's the ones. Fingers in the eyes. <laughs> yeah, um, and they had a separate camp, and they, they made a secret entrance. And I was camped next to the secret entrance, and it was really funny to watch because you had an A-frame Viking tent, yeah. and suddenly, like, 50 people would come out of this like- tent. <laughs> Like, and those end- makes sense. Yeah. Oh, how brilliant! I yeah. almost got to introduce them at um, at, uh, I think it was Jorvik or Jorvik Fringe. There were I went and did some storytelling up there. Um, yeah, brilliant, uh, brilliant fun. One hundred and twenty people in a room, most of them in Viking kit, complete with shields, axes, and swords. No spears, but that's probably a little bit too much for the street. Um, um, and um. And halfway through the show, there was a very dramatic bit. And there was no bar there. So people had all these kind of, all these Norsemen and Norsemen, shield maidens and Vikings had turned up with little carrier bags full of, you know, cans of beer and things and sat down. Yeah. And it's very quiet point, very dramatic point. And I was building up the drama and I was talking. And, and suddenly there was this <laughs> of, of a ring pull. And you could feel all. No. The... And then from the opposite side of the room, someone just went, Skull! And all the Vikings went, Skull! And everyone went, Ray! Until I carried on. Um, but after that, there was someone who was, who was part of the organisation of Long being there who said, oh, would you come back and introduce them um, yeah. uh, and tell some stories? And I thought, I'm not quite sure how that's going to work, walking out on stage with a, a whole audience waiting for Highland and kind of basically going, give it 20 minutes because I'm going to talk to you for a bit. I know you're here to see them, but but anyway, it didn't happen in the end, which kind of is a shame because I would love to have done that, but it's probably better because I don't think dramatically it would have worked. I would have been the war, the warm-up act they didn't want. The audience didn't you could, want. You could join their warriors, can't you? They they do like open auditions sometimes. Oh, really? I oh, what, to so the yeah. kind of crowd of people at the back? 
so yeah when they have like everyone on stage with the shields and they're doing the spears and yeah, uh, yeah. you can you can send an audition tape you could there is an audition tape on youtube somewhere where you can see what people have sent in oh wow i didn't know and that you can, yeah every I, now and again i did at that actually at that festival you just reminded me after i'd done the done the show and everybody they'd all they really all left and i tied it up done the rather dull things of putting chairs away and making sure everything was okay before i left um uh, my partner uh, kimber's uh, said uh, she said I always wanted to go to the, the bar called Valhalla here you know could we go to that said, yeah absolutely let's go for a drink now uh, and we so we, we found our way there and as we got there I could see through the window of the bar that there was most of my audience was filling most of the pub in there um, and so as I walked in somebody who had to be facing the door and who was three sheets to the wind on mead pointed and went scald which as you know is the, is the Viking word the Norse word for yeah. bard or storyteller and at that, everybody turned round and went scald. And so I got a standing ovation. So I can truly say that as a storyteller or as a scald, I got a standing ovation as I entered Valhalla. <laughs> it's a tiny bar, that. It's a nice bar, but there's never any room to move, is there? No, absolutely. It was tiny. I, I squeezed in. We yeah. sat down, had a couple of meads, and then, yeah. and, uh, and then, and then toddled off. And then found a, a very, a much bigger, but very empty and dull bar. And regretted it. But there we go. That yeah. was kind of I was there to do a show. Yeah. So. yeah. I was going to say that wasn't to downplay your your um, welcome into Valhalla, <laughs> but it was a small bar. A small <laughs> bar, though, wasn't it? Well, I'll find a bigger <laughs> one next time. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. I've lost my train of thought now. It's okay. We've gone way off track. Yeah. So the only other thing I was going to, on that sort of line, was sort of what your favorite kind of audience is to perform to because i presume you perform to people of all ages vikings and normal yeah. people and do you have like a favorite audience um favorite audience is, is interesting yeah as a storyteller I mean, most people think i tell stories to children um and when as i started as a professional storyteller i very much wanted to i so wanted to distance myself from that and no 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 no. i tell stories for adults i do adult storytelling and then you have to go oh no not that kind of not like adult storytelling <laughs> Um, but then actually I, I started doing some stuff for kids and kids are brilliant and it's really good fun doing stuff with kids because they, uh, they don't mind interacting and they are quite often parents and people will go, Shh, you know, quiet them down. It's like, no, 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 I, yeah, I'll, I'll deal with it. I don't, it's difficult to basically say, no, it's all right. I'll deal with this, but also that's great. They're wanting to join in. Yeah. Uh, uh, and the kids have a great time and, you know, you can get, you can get them to shout out and wind them up to do all sorts of things and making noises and whatnot and joining in. They're great fun. Um, I think, yeah, and adults are very different because adults will generally be sort of very, oh, hello, yes, we've come for the storytelling. And there'll be what, you know, we yeah. all expect from going to performances, which is, you know, everybody comes in, they sit down quietly and do stuff and, um, uh, you know, and, and politely listen. Um, but really drunk audiences are difficult because mm. they start to behave like kids, but they're adults. So they, they, they start yelling out more and they start doing more. Yeah. In fact, when I competed for the um, the Grand Line contest in 2016, that was in London, uh, yeah. at a venue, and there was about 200 people in the audience, and um, I was on last, and my story started very quietly with this sort of introduction, and um, throughout the thing, they'd already pretty much booed someone off stage, um, just for them having a red sequined waistcoat and then doing some really uncomfortable, sexy kind of bits that all the audience were going, no, stop, stop. And he just didn't, <laughs> just kept going. And so, um, uh, wow. and 
Yeah, and people just, oh yeah, awful. There's bits where you kind of go, oh God, can you die or I die? I don't care who, but just one of us. Can one of us? <laughs> um, uh, by the time I got up, they were, yeah, they'd um, they'd all been on the source all evening and were quite yeah. quite happy to call out and get involved and do things. So when I st- stood up, I had to kind of do a bit of kind of call and response stuff to to to, to manage them and bring them round. So they would they were listening and and kind of doing what I tell them without. You can't stand up and go, okay, can you all be quiet, please? Because my mm. story starts quietly. <sighs> um, and so yeah, so I just got I just told them that. Um, you know, one of my ambitions in life was that was that if I punched the air with my fist, um, then by doing that, I would hear the sound of a thousand hairy horsemen shout, uh, shouting, Huzzah! And then I said, tonight, I haven't got a thousand, but you lot will do. Uh, and so when you <laughs> my hairy horsemen, vroom, and yeah. once you've done it twice, everybody knows. And so they're just waiting for the next bit. And it's kind of like wrangling kids. So kind of getting yeah. uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, a, drunk, a, a drunk audience to kind of go, OK, we'll be quiet and listen. Uh, and they loved it. They enjoyed it very much. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. In terms of audiences, I like it's different because also I tell, I tell different stories. Um, and sometimes people uh, come away going, "Oh, that was amazing! That was great! I could really see the pictures. I was absolutely there." And other mm. people sort of they. Uh, it's a bit like people coming out of a film. Other people going, "Oh, that was lovely! You know, thank you so much. I love the the way you used words, and I love the way you did that turn of phrase, or uh, all the way you did that voice, or you did that that um, that action, or kind of how do you do that sound effect and things, you know, stuff like that." And and so you kind of get all sorts of different reactions. But most people who come to storytelling are pretty nice audiences, um, and they either know what they're to expect, or they come. Yeah expecting a talk about something and then come away kind of going oh i see and you you performed it and that was well it wasn't what i was expecting at all yeah i think it's a lot like stand-up like you said before isn't it it's like it's really managing that audience yeah absolutely and sometimes an audience and if you and if you're one of many people as well that's performing that night what's gone on before you uh affects what's coming up and the mood of the people in the room Um, yeah I guess yeah. that makes your your shows easier to do because people come presumably to see you. Whereas if you're at like an event where there's several storytellers. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. My own stuff, then quite often that's the yeah. case. Because I didn't come yeah. up with the traditional storytelling route. So actually a lot of the uh, the established storytelling community um, mm. um, weren't really um, aware of me or hadn't seen my stuff because I wasn't going to, they didn't know me, so they didn't invite me to festivals. Uh, they weren't what lots of people weren't watching traditional storytelling audiences weren't watching stuff over lockdown so they didn't see me and so actually I was yeah. reading new storytelling audiences who who liked the subject matter I was doing whether it be Norse or horror or a dark Valentine's show or something or uh, mm. that people tend to, to tend to come along for the subject matter and then kind of go oh, all right okay that's storytelling yeah uh, and I'm yeah. now finding that I'm sort of edging my way into into sort of storytelling festivals now, and then people kind of go, "Oh yeah, he's quite good. He's quite nice. Get him along. He's all right. We've never heard of him. No, he's good. Go on, get him in." Yeah. Yes. Because yeah. I had a judge at something once where somebody said to me, "Oh, I've never heard of you before," and I thought I wanted to say, "I've never heard of you either," but I thought it's a bit rude, especially as you'll be a judge in a minute for what I'm about to do, and I sort of said, "Oh." <laughs> but uh, yeah. Mm. yeah yeah i think i i've heard similar things told by people that do spoken word and poetry as well is that yeah it's kind of like an in crowd if you like 
Oh, absolutely. And, and yeah, and then if you're not part of that group, people are kind of like, oh, who's this sort of? Completely, yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. um, but it works both ways. So the good side is that those people who are the in crowd and the people who organise those in crowd events are the people mm. who actually keep things going. Um, but the problem is you have mm. to get into the in crowd to then kind of to. Uh, 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 to be able to access that so it's a kind of if you take away the in crowd people um, yeah. that whole kind of thing of enthusiasts and volunteers organizing stuff and groups of mates and groups of practitioners working together to organize stuff if you take that away then then suddenly you've got your you're, you're back to sort of just people trying to get funding uh, or you know uh, not being able to organize stuff yeah I'm just I was going to gonna mention sorry go on I'm just enjoying this uh, delicious cup of acorn coffee at the moment. Mm. <laughs> you sent me that a while yeah. back. I've now had a good reason it to, was take, a while back. To, yeah. to, to to drink it. It's lovely, and I gave it to uh, gave it to my son and heir to try as well. Who doesn't yeah. really like caffeine drinks? He doesn't really like coffee that much. Um, yeah. it was, it tastes it tastes surprisingly like coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yes, acorn coffee. Uh, I'm running out of the stuff because we haven't got any acorns on our tree this year. They've all oh, got that. Um, Oh, I don't remember the name of it, but you know when they get wasps that go inside the acorns and they kind of like Oka. Yeah, yeah, come yeah. round. Yeah, call them. Yeah. I went on a walk the other day. There were some great whoppers where I was walking. They were as thick yeah. as my thumb. They were. They were like yeah. plums on the trees. They were. <laughs> Maybe they were plums on reflection. I don't know. No, they weren't. They were definitely acorns. Yeah, are. I hope you can tell the difference between a plum and an acorn. <laughs> These plums are a bit tough, darling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, because we sent that to you for that event we were going to do with Dawn, wasn't it? There was yeah, a, yeah. Um, which we didn't get enough ticket yeah. sales for, unfortunately. You had some yeah. whiskey, I think. It was a whiskey I sent you, or there was. I did, and, I, and the whiskey is somewhere safe in this house. Um, because I didn't <laughs> kind of go, lovely. I think I've got whiskey from you, and because it was Blackberry whiskey, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it would have been. And they've got. I think it might be the same place where a friend, a friend of mine, sent me a little bottle. It's like a little potion bottle of bacon vodka. Oh, yeah. I went and stayed at his house while he was away. Um, yeah, stayed there, and there was this big kilner jar in the kitchen, and it just looked like it was full of ears. Um, I realised what it was was bacon um, um, vod uh, being steeped in vodka. Um, it's quite a challenging drink on its own because <laughs> the nothing else the salt content is quite high but i imagine yeah. you mix it and make things like um what do the canadians call a um a uh, bloody mary a caesar yeah um, so yeah tomato juice mm. bacon vodka a little bit of greenery and but the, the the canadians use have you heard of clamato juice no oh so tomato juice right as we all know okay yeah but clamato juice I, I don't know how you get to this but it's tomato juice with with clam juice in it so i know okay and so and you, know, you put some bacon vodka in that <laughs> yeah oh if you see this if you if you look up pictures of caesar's uh, canadian caesar drinks they have things like whole kind of king prawns and stuff and slices of pizzas and it becomes a ridiculous kind of yeah. things on top i mean essentially it's a bloody mary it's it's clamato juice and vodka uh, yeah. And Tabasco, you know, and a few little sort of um, bits and pieces, but um, but yeah, they become absurd. And I've I went to Canada once and I was introduced to these, which is lovely. It's a very good bre breakfast drink if you've had a, shall we say, a tiring night before. Um, yeah. Next morning, a Caesar because you get a little bit of munchy thing on it as well. You see, so edible 
edible. I still can't get over the bacon, bacon vodka. I've never heard of that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. But at least he did explain why he appeared to have a jar of ears in his his kitchen. I think I'd prefer if he did have a jar of ears in his kitchen. Oh, right. Ear vodka. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I did try. There is. Yeah. I don't know where it's like Alaska or something. There's a bar and they have like a toe. Oh, yeah. I've heard you have to drink it and the toe has to touch your lips. Yeah. And you're not supposed to drink it. And then they, I guess they top it up. Yeah. Um, Because it went missing, didn't it? Like last year, I think. Oh, right. Okay. Didn't know about this. Or like, I think someone had like. Well, no, someone had necked the toe. I think so. Yeah. I believe they got it back. Sounds quite. It was good. one of those weird news stories from last year. Like this toe had gone missing. And then like, I think someone returned. No one, had, no one had ingested it. Otherwise, I imagine the, the, the retrieval there has got to come one way or the other. And either of those probably yeah. not, not, not ideal, shall we say. <laughs> Yes, it's not in the spirit of that drink, is it? No. Hey, so you did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's Halloween, or we're gonna. This is gonna come out around Halloween, isn't it? Yes. So this is a Halloween special. Um, so I guess we should steer our conversation a bit spooky. You've already got bacon vodka or ear vodka. Yeah. Would look good in the window for all the trick or treaters with the kids coming around. God, yeah, absolutely. It was weird. Yeah. I just, and I, yeah. <laughs> I realised it was probably bacon, but I couldn't quite work out why he had a kill the I job. still don't know why you would yeah <laughs> <coughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but cooked, yeah cooked or raw bacon do you know I don't know and I then don't... if you didn't cook it would you then eat the bacon that's been soaked in vodka you could do you want to cook it carefully though wouldn't you <laughs> flambe <laughs> yeah uh, I don't know I kind of want to try it now but yeah don't I can I can make inquiries for you if uh, you find out the. Uh... I think I can work out the recipe. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a problem. Yeah. Uh, what are the ingredients for bacon vodka? What could they? <laughs> I mean, mate, is it is it still sweet? Because a lot of these concoctions people put sugar in as well. Is it just? No, I think I my, I certainly detected no sugar in it. Uh, I haven't. I have. I must admit. I think I I received it and tried it pretty soon after receiving it, and that was Christmas before last. Yeah. So, so we're heading on. And you're for, still here. Heading for two years. Two years on. Yeah. Well, at some point it'll make it'll be one of those ones where you suddenly go, oh, I know what we need for this drink or this cocktail. <laughs> um, and I have absolutely no fear of it going off between now and then. <laughs> You'll be better off with my blackberry whiskey. Honest. Yeah, Stick with the blackberry whiskey. I feel, I feel I can now. I feel I can now drink it. But you know, it's one of those things of like I'm not yeah. just. I'm not just kind of. I'm not just going to you know neck it for no good reason at moments. <laughs> I'm kind of, but now I feel I can. Although I can't. It's October because I'm doing sober tober. So I'm. I'm all. Are you? I thought. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Well, it's a busy month for me. Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of the stories that I tell are tend to be dark. Um, and in fact, you're a, one step ahead of me. Oh, okay. Go on. Have you got a question or shall I carry on? No, you can carry on. It's fine. I was just going to say that a lot of your stories tend to be more dark, macabre type stuff. Um, yeah. And yeah, I was going to steer it that way, but you can carry on. I kind of, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, yeah. I'm getting the, <laughs> I am, um, there's a, a, another storyteller uh, called Janet Goring, who goes by the name of Bluebird Storyteller. And she does a lot of work with kids and with guides and, uh, and stuff in kind of um, things like care homes and things where she'll go and do stuff and and uh, sort of memory storytelling and uh, uh, bits and pieces. Um, yeah. But her stuff is not dark at all. Um, mm. 
quite the opposite. And so there, there was a time where where we would hand hand things backwards and forwards to each other. Of just had this inquiry for a six year olds party, uh, Bluebird. I think that might be one for you. And then someone like, yeah, we've got a private party coming up. We want something really dark and gory. So Jason, I think this might be might be might be might be one one for you. So yeah, yeah I've always had a sort of love of gothic and the dark. And I think also looking back at old stories. Um, I mean, I think it's kind of almost quite well known these days if you look back at the fairy tales that Disney's made some great films from, but the originals have absolutely horrible endings and other mm -hmm. horrific things that happen through them that then kind of got sanitised for a <coughs> for a sort of public and I can imagine sort of quite sort of conservative audience. Um, They're sanitised, but then they always kill the mum at the beginning or the parents at the beginning. Yeah, there's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, that's just tragedy, though, isn't it? That's not horror. So mm, if you look at... I guess, yeah. Look at Sleeping Beauty. Um, uh, what is what, what what is the age range for your podcast, by the way? Just so I can describe things in a way that uh, uh, it's a fam should I, should I assume it's a family. It's a family. Uh, I would assume so. I I think it's probably more adult. Sorry if you're listening and you're a small child, but uh, <laughs> I'm not. I don't know the age range to be honest, but I would imagine it's more adult. I will I will be careful with my language anyway, just because. So Sleeping Beauty, she doesn't get woken up with her with true love's kiss she she wakes up in childbirth because right. prince charming has visited her and um and uh, and she's become pregnant in her sleep uh, shall we say but then when she wakes up a miracle and she wakes up and she's having a baby but it's okay because they love each other and then they get married but he keeps her a secret from his parents because his mother is an ogress yeah uh, so she's a, and, and so she's an ogre and she's gonna she, she's likely to eat children so he keeps going back to visit beauty or now the, the princess as she almost is until eventually um he comes clean and she comes back to the house with him back to the castle with him and 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 he becomes king and uh, so she becomes queen and the, the and his mother becomes a, the you know the kind of the um uh, what is the king mother the queen mother king yeah queen mother um what are the expression is um he has to go off to battle and he says do you know what just so that my mother doesn't eat our children her grandchildren uh, let's we'll hide you in the forest Queen finds out, yeah, the, the old queen finds out, goes and visits them and orders somebody to to cook them and eat the children who can't do it. He can't bring himself to kill them. So um, slaughters a deer and serves that up and pretends it is. But when she finds out before the prince is back or the now king is back, she gets them and she's about to put the children and beauty into a pot full of uh, toads and poisonous snakes when the Prince Charming turns up and goes, what are you doing, mum? This is how I tell stories, by the way. This is this is just the summary of the story. This is kind of yeah. This is the, rather than the rather than the the, the immersive, sure. creative, dreamlike experience that storytelling can be. Um, and um, he turns up, and uh, she's so horrified that she topples into the cauldron full of snakes and toads, and uh, and is basically killed and eaten by the snakes and toads there. So that he's then he, he and his children. So that's Sleeping Beauty. Um, yeah. Snow White's stepmom ends up being invited to the wedding after Prince Charming has taken her corpse and taken it home, and she only wakes up because she dropped the the, the coffin drops off the back of a a, a cart, and he um, uh, he decides he's so in love with his corpse and then kisses it, and then so she she wakes up. Oh yeah, um, he, all right. <laughs> he takes her from the dwarf, thinking she's a beautiful corpse. She wakes up, decides Prince is great, marries him, invites the wicked stepmother along, who who asked for her to be killed, uh, where at their wedding reception, she is forced to dance herself to death in red hot iron shoes. Wow. So those, those are the fairy tales. <laughs> um, so yeah. there's a whole load of other traditional older stories, which are much more 
gruesome mm. and cover much more kind of grotesque sort of things. Um, but those are great, and kids love them. Yeah, as well. And you can deal with some of the more adult issues in sensitive ways or euphemistically. Um, yeah, it just goes straight over kids' heads. But yeah, adults adults like them as well. Yeah. But it's a bit of a surprise the the kind of the uh, yeah the horror or the uh, uh, the darkness of those. But that's I think that's where I tend to kind of that's where I hang out, and those are the kind of stories that uh, stories that I tell. Yeah. And presumably, I mean, like a lot of folk tales and stuff were always there to teach some kind of lesson. So I'm just trying to work out what the lessons are in. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of mm. a lot of the stepmother things were converted to stepmother, which were and but were actually mother. <clears throat> uh, it was the mother who um, who uh, wanted to to kill her daughter, was jealous of her daughter, things. And I think some of them are some of them are cautionary tales. Don't talk to strangers. Don't go down by mm. the river because Jenny Greenteeth will be in there and she'll reach up and grab you. Um, don't, yeah, yeah, don't go off on your own because you'll be snatched in the woods by monsters. Um, yeah, Big Bad Wolf uh, and Red Riding. But others, I think, are just some are historical as well, um, or based on history that then's got fancied up. Um, mm. And others are just just good old-fashioned entertainment. I think. Yeah, people need entertaining. There's no television. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, and you yeah, come sure and think, oh, tell us the story about the so and so again. People like to hear the same stories again because they enjoy it, and you know, in the same way that mm. we go watch, rewatch stuff, um, then um, people like to hear the same stories again. Not all the time, not the same, the same old stories all the time, but people do like familiar stories. I know there's people who kind of, oh, great, you're telling that story again. Oh, great, I love that one. You know. Um, yeah. Doesn't have to be fresh stories all the time, every time. Yeah, it's it's sort of something that we naturally do as humans, isn't it? Like you go home and tell someone about your day as telling a story. Yeah. It's something like we're almost, I don't know, like born to to tell stories in some way. It's a really. I've run workshops with businesses as well uh, on on this in the in the past, and that storytelling is a is a natural communication for all of us. All of us who communicate um communicate uh, interpersonal communication maybe verbal or uh, or sign language whatever it's a narrative um that mm. helps us to understand things because with a narrative you can understand the progression of things through time you can up which helps to put things into sequences um and you can also teach people about things of in, increasing complexity so lord of the rings is a massive book um yeah. And if you try to tell, if you try to sort of get all the information in there right at the beginning, I know Tolkien does a bit of a bit of that, um, but <clears throat> essentially the whole the whole of the book is this: a ring is a ring owned by an evil person must be destroyed, um, and some good guys go out and uh, experience trials on the way, but to, but but save the world by destroying it at the end. Um, there's a bit more in the middle, isn't there? Um, but, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, especially the bit about when he goes on about when they're running. And that's classic old storytelling stuff because to read it's quite dull, I find. There may be people who enjoy yeah. those books. It's a bit like, as Eddie, Eddie Izzard said, you can't have a book with a car chase in it. You know, you kind of, he drove, he drove faster, he pulled a face in the mirror, he looked around. That doesn't work. It works great on film. But there's a little bit of that in the, I think it's the Two Towers, isn't it, where they're running, running, running uh, as the some of the heroes are running after the Urukai to try and find Merry and Pippin. There's a mm. lot of that goes on in there. But if that were a saga that you were telling, 
then it would be more like a film. And this is where it kind of would come off the page of Tolkien's inspirations from the old sagas that would be told to people, told to a yeah. primarily illiterate audience. Uh, and with that, you can talk about and they ran and they ran and they ran and they ran for a day and they ran for a year and they ran for a year and a day. They ran up hills. And you can do that kind of as a saga. And it's exciting because you're performing part of it and you're telling people part of it. And it takes it off yeah. the page and suddenly it becomes with the, the storyteller's kind of performance of the words, then it starts to trigger those immersive parts where you start to see the pictures in your head. Yeah, and it's, it's like that thing, isn't it? It's if you're given a talk that you don't talk monotone, all yeah. in one volume level, is you go up a little bit and then you come back down, and because then people have to go, sorry, what's he saying? I can't quite, and it draws oh, people in to pay attention. Yeah, yeah, there are some points where silence and stillness means that yeah, you can feel people leaning in, and it creates great atmosphere. It's great to yeah. be dramatic and, blah, 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 and those are great things for fights and exciting stuff, like a film. The music goes dun 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 and when it's the quiet bits, there's there's very quiet musical silence. Um, yeah, and there's a big difference for performance storytellers, which is what how often people like myself describe ourselves. And there's a big difference between someone who can just remember a story and just tell the word, repeat the words, and someone who can perform the story and really lend that emotion and that imagination and bring people in and immerse people into that into that world. I can't do either. Oh, well, you can, well, as you yeah. said, yeah. I think you're right. People, everybody tells yeah. stories, those interesting things, you know. Yeah. Do, yeah. do you know what? I went to the pub and, and then 15 minutes later, you know, someone's told a story and everyone's either gone, oh my God, or hey, or you know, you've had a reaction to it. Um, yeah. And those are the stories, it's how we communicate. It's then you then you get, yeah. then you get yoinks like me who kind of go, well, I'm, I'm going to do it in a theatrical way about all sorts of things prepared for an audience. Yeah. And then it's just the, it's just the next level, but we all tell stories all the time. I don't know. I tried to tell, um, I think it was, do you know the story Stingy Jack? Yeah. I tried to tell that to David at Moorforge once. Oh, right. So if you want to know how bad I am at telling stories, ask David. Ah, right, okay. <laughs> I'd forget, like, get halfway through the story, go, oh, wait, no, I forgot a bit. <laughs> yes, and that's, a, yeah, that's the bit of you do need to tell the story. Yeah. But there's a lot of nice, also, I think often as, as a storyteller, you're kind of almost on that, on that point, is yeah. that you're following the story, especially if you've got a story, you know how it goes, this happens and that happens and this happens and that happens and that. And sometimes you do forget or something happens or someone in the audience reacts in a certain way you kind of go off piste a bit and come back or something has happened you forget and one of the nice things about being a storyteller is that because you're you're the person who's doing the telling you're not giving another actor a cue so they're not waiting for the exact words in the exact place is that you do have a certain amount of license to kind of go oh God, i'm about to tell them about the thing he's got in his pocket and how he's going to use it but i haven't told them about the thing that was a whole thing about and you do the but what i haven't told you is that inside his pocket and you can you know nice yeah, yeah and that's up to the skill of the performer as to how well you can deal with that um as opposed to kind of going yeah as i've as i've seen people do ah oh no hang on oh dear ah hang on a minute oh and you can feel everybody in the audience going ah. yeah so we've been going i guess must be about an hour since we actually started is it just ten past. Shall we move on to the questions that I ask everybody? I don't want yes. to hold you up for too long today. Um, but you're also going to tell us a bit of a story. So if people hang on to the end, yeah. I probably should have said that at the beginning, shouldn't I? <laughs> Maybe. 
Yes. So you're going to tell us a story at the end as well. Yeah, which will be about eight minutes long. So for that, you can cut that bit. You can sit back, close your eyes, get a cup of tea. Yeah. I'll set a timer, run off to the house, go and get a coffee. (laughs) Get your bacon vodka. (laughs) I'm going to have to try that. You are now, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I don't Um, know why, but I am. (laughs) So what questions have you got for me? Well, I haven't done these for a little while. I have to remind myself now. All right. Go on, and you've then. had a bit of pre-warning for these ones, haven't you? Yeah. So you've, I know you've, you've had a bit of help yeah. research. This is the nitty gritty. This is what people have got you here for today. <laughs> and this is the point <laughs> my cat's decided to, uh, to to stand outside this door and just him. So I'm just going to summon him in. Come on, Percy. I can hear a cat. Here we go. He's That's not great. You're really good at cat noises, Jason. Do you? <laughs> he like throws his voice. Yes. Yeah. Coming just from a black and white cat. Go on now, you buzz yeah. off. I'm chatting with Craig. <laughs> right, what's your first question? Yes. So if you had an unlimited budget, what would be your dream project? So I was thinking about this and I was thinking that um I'd love to do uh a a, a day or weekend or week-long storytelling retreat in some fabulous setting like a castle. Uh, or historic buildings or uh, uh, and something that where people could come along and tell stories and do workshops and 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 have fabulous food like from someone like your good self with all the kind of you know rather than just being here's some lovely stuffed olives and waitrose uh then we can, we can have some uh, uh, some nice bits and pieces um a while back i did inquire at the hellfire caves which are in west wickham uh yeah. which chalk caves built into a hill well excavated from a hill it was actually um the oh god I forgot what his name is now lord fiddlywee who who lived there um there was a um uh, it was a job shortage back in the i think 17th century and lord mm. fiddlywee just decided to build a road and hired loads of the loads of the uh, local local um, fellows to dig out the chalk caves and to make a road and so therefore he could give them gainful employment but what I left behind yeah. were the caves that then yeah the prince regent and everybody else used to go along and have have suspicious parties of suspicious nature uh, in there and get up to all doings um but it's enormously expensive um but it's great because there's a room there which is a sort of i think it's called something like the feast room or the banquet room it's a sort of circular room with alcoves where they used to have exotic dancers and people sort of doing things and stuff but um yeah you need you need quite a bit of a budget to hire that because they keep getting hired out by film studios and whatnots and things oh uh, yeah and this back in 1974 whatever the you couldn't move for cybermen in there or something i can't remember but but uh yeah so something like that something really good really epic something that really put the money in and, and allow people to really um uh, enjoy the the surroundings because stories um i told stories you know in village halls and in in schools and on playing fields and all sorts of places that are very kind of prosaic but going into a place that has a bit of mystery and a bit of um uh, a bit of character like more forged uh at the uh yeah. there or the kind of iron age buildings and butts of farm and things it's great and people really are set up for kind of losing themselves into the stories so that's what i do i bring everybody mm. there and have a great time and someone like you would come along and give them bacon vodka and goat ribs and uh, uh all sorts <laughs> wings did you say Goat ribs, actually, but goat wings, oh. yeah. You can, I don't want to say. Oh, wow, what is that? More wings they've got. You have to look. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, uh, you've just got to know where to look on them, yeah. 
I think there's some kind of like new cookbook there, isn't there? Like a Halloween themed eat like a yeah. Yeah, and it's all goat wings and bacon. <laughs> goat wings and bacon vodka. There you go, great. <laughs> this, this is your next book. You're welcome. It happened. <laughs> starting. I'll put a credit in the back for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. So next question is, do you think you could survive on a Viking Age diet? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I must admit, there's probably bits I don't probably fully understand, but I think absolutely. Yeah. I, I was, I was, um, I was brought up in the 70s and 80s. My parents were very, um, we had wholemeal bread when uh, um, with whole nut peanut butter from the whole food shop. I had That's what I had for lunch, you know, where everyone else had white bread with lemon curd and wagon wheels and things. And so my parents were a bit bonkers and a bit weird like that. They were very much at the forefront of, of, of whole foods and health foods. And we were vegetarian for a while. And rather than just removing um, meat from the diet, um you know meat from a plate it was like, well, what can we do instead what proper meals i mean today it's it's just common sense you know he's kind of like we well, have a vegetarian meal you have a nice full meal it's not just uh as friends of mine at university once suggested when we said uh, oh let's all get to have a roast dinner and said oh but claire's vegetarian and i said uh, oh maybe we could do like um some uh, nut loaf or maybe we could do some stuffed um peppers or something or that and they all just looked blankly at me and just went no, she just won't have the meat and it's like, all oh, right, so we'll have a roast dinner and she'll just have an absence of meat on her plate. And it's like, surely we could put something else in there that's nice, a protein that's in there that tastes nice. So, yeah, I have a, I, that, you know, I was brought up on lumpy, gritty, d- delicious, hot, lumpy, gritty bread that my dad had just made by hand, you know, and sort of, uh, you know, lentils and pulses and um, lovage, putting everything, lovage from the garden, putting anything, which I hate, the bitter herb. And it's like, just stop it, mum, stop it, it's ruining the peanut butter. <laughs> Um, they got the message in the end. My mum used to try to put, because she worked, because I used to love peanut butter. So be my dad's yeah. bread, yeah, which you could build houses with, but it was especially warm, delicious, you know, butter and honey. Um, he said that with this whole nut peanut butter. My mum used to put slices of cucumber in, because she said, you know, a balanced diet. Oh, no, 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 no. Light peanut butter and granary bread, light cucumber. And eventually, they just arrived in the same lunchbox, but not in the same sandwich and all was good just no cucumbery peanut butter or butter or peanut buttery cucumbers not good wasn't good didn't like it have you ever tried uh, dipping the celery stick in the peanut butter do you know what? i probably wouldn't mind that they'd probably be all right i think yeah. i think it's just when you stick slices of cucumber you know into the sandwich they feel like they've infiltrated the sandwich and then they've sat there in your lunchbox yeah. for a few hours it's made not... the bread a bit soggy yeah and they've just gone a bit yeah. Whereas, yeah, having them as a, as a kind of a dip or like as a satay, lovely. Mm. Um, but yeah, not just, you yeah. know, it's like my grandma used to make salad with cold sausages and scoops of mashed potato. And it's like, oh no, this is all wrong. It was, you know, lumpy mashed potato that was hot next yeah. to cold sausages that were sitting in a little sort of film of their own grease, you know. So when you picked them up and looked underneath, they were smooth and shiny white like a mirror. And then with some sort of limp lettuce um no combination of those things no but individually yeah yeah so is there any food you'd miss on a viking age diet um oh do you know i thought about this and um i think probably chinese takeaway um Good answer. Uh, yeah i think i think that's it i think you know if I, my, my go-to takeaways are from chinese takeaway and that often has to involve something like a like a chow mein and those kind of yeah. flavors so I mean, of course, I could get that in a Viking age, but I just have to travel quite far to get it. 
Um, yes. Quite um, uh, and then, of course, it wouldn't be like a Chinese takeaway. It'd be like authentic Chinese food, which I'm sure is completely different. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, the Chinese takeaway would be uh, would be the thing for me. And then, of course, the breakfast of the cold Chinese takeaway the morning after, which is why you always have to order a bit too much. So then you've got the breakfast of champions in the morning. Slightly soggy. I've never done that because I will, even if I order too much, I will find a way to eat it. Oh, I've learned I have to stop. Otherwise, that means it means a, a nighttime of me of bad dreams and waking up and <laughs> and just kind of going, oh, God, I feel like my dad. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. So I've just, I've had to. Yeah. I've had to tone down, but yeah, leave it and then look forward to it in the morning. It's a treat. I'm surprised you didn't say you'd miss peanut butter and cucumber sandwiches. Wouldn't miss the combination of those two at all. No, <laughs> I did eat a lot of peanut butter as a child. A lot of ate a lot of peanut butter and drank a lot of apple juice. Yeah. There you go. Healthy. <laughs> oh, ridiculously so. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. <clears throat> my parents are no longer with us so you know they they'll never find out but there was a guy I used to go to school with who um didn't like his sandwiches he didn't like his lemon curd sandwiches so i used to have the peanut butter and granary sandwiches that my my my, my parents had lovingly made for me and then i'd have his white bread and lemon curd sandwiches on the way home or at least you had the ones you're supposed to as well. You could have okay. chucked yours away every day. <laughs> no, no, no. no, I like those. Yeah. No, I just put in official complaints about the contents until it changed. But what did he have? If you ate his sandwiches? Not a lot. I don't it know. Like bullying him, Jason. Oh, no, no, no. He just hated it. There was some, I think there was, some, <laughs> there was some day when he said, oh, I don't like these. Or I said, oh, lemon curd. That's made some. And he sort of went, you can have them if you want. Um, and so I used to have those as well. He was very small. Remember that? Yeah. I remember, you know, in, and you were very tall. That's why I'm wondering about this old bullying. Yeah, <laughs> Are you no, sure I, he offered them to? As an adult, I think I might have been enabling his hips, or you know, or not kind of enabling his uh, his um, his natural growth. This is all going to go out now. This is it. They're going <laughs> to be knocking on my door. I'm not even going to say the guy's name anymore in case he comes around. <laughs> you know, kind of come for lemon curd sandwiches or the reason. Yeah. No, no, no. Compensation. Yeah, those were gifts <laughs> given, as uh, as the Fay would say. All right. The next question is, what's the weirdest thing in your kitchen? I've been looking forward to asking you this because I reckon you're going to have a really good answer. Oh, OK. Well, there's bacon vodka, which you've already heard about. <laughs> yeah. There's a big That's bag. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a big yeah. bag of dried pig's blood, um, yeah. which that came from uh, my partner, Kimber's, uh, seeing your blood uh, blood soup recipe. Um, oh, yeah. Pig blood soup. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she's, yes. she's, she keeps threatening to make the blood bread, which uh, uh, which I tasted at, uh, when you were at Doodah uh, when I saw you there the other day. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And it's quite a big bag of pig's blood as well. And it's there. And the trouble is I've tried adding it to things like soups and things, but I realise it does clump quite a lot and clot quite a lot. Yeah. And so I like the flavour. It tastes like black pudding, of course, because that's what black pudding's made of. Um, pig's clots. Um, doesn't sound mm. so nice when they say it like that. Um but it goes a bit lumpy so it's just there it does um yeah. so there's... if you make bread mix it with the flour first before you add the liquid right yes and yes it, it, that that gets around the lumps yeah yeah and i think and i think kimber's was did, did the correct mixing it however mixing it with other things before the soup no it's just me being an oik trying to go trying to tap it in you know with a little with a with a what do you call it a tea strainer that yeah you see it in a tea strainer it still goes lumpy yeah 
It does. Um, I think it's been a while since I made the pig blood soup. I think the recipe is on my blog, but I think it's the addition of vinegar that stops it from clumping. If I remember uh, rightly. Oh, I see. It's an anti yeah. It must be, yeah. But other other things, other things that we have in our in our kitchen. So um, uh, we've got two freezers, two fridge freezers. You know, standard fridge bit at the top, freezer freezer bit at the bottom. But one of them, the freezer bit, is um, belongs to the, the talking of the dead things. So things that we have found and things that we have been given. Um, so none of these were none of these were were, were killed. These were all uh, uh, roadsides or or presents from individuals who found them roadsides, etc. So um, uh, we did have a tawny owl, um, which has now been scooped and stuffed and is sitting on a perch just up here um a peregrine falcon uh, sorry not peregrine falcon a um sparrow hawk um yeah. which when was found was found still with the mouse in its claws it had obviously well, picked up a mouse and then gone whoo, 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 bang somewhere um yeah. uh, various corvids jackdaws whatnots quite a few small fetal lambs um and uh, uh and uh, a whole hare now the whole hare was actually rescued by uh, it was taken to a wildlife rescue someone we know um yeah. and on his and he'd been hit in a car crash uh, and uh, he was on his way back to health and he was looking good but then suddenly one day he, he turned up his toes and died and so and so we we took the hair off their hands and then gave them a donation so that then they can continue their their good wildlife trust a wildlife not wildlife trust the wildlife rescue work um and so there's a whole hare in there uh waiting to be reborn in a new way and to be loved by a future owner and whilst helping the, all the other little animals. yeah of course yeah there we should go. probably plug kim's stuff a little bit because you've mentioned kim a few times i think in passing but i don't think we've specified what she does she's a taxidermist um yeah she's lots of what are called wet specimens so things in jars in in yeah preserving liquids in jars so everything from octopus tentacles to um <clears throat> uh, uh fetal deer forms and things uh and everything in between so you find a roadkill deer and if it's fresh enough um as you i don't know if you've done this i'm sure you probably have well taken the taken the deer skinned it um, butchered it kept the meat and then but sometimes sometimes we've actually found that the deer was pregnant when it was hit by a car uh and these amazing beautiful little sort of um never to be born fawns in there um mm. I know some people will find you know very sort of grotesque um but they were already dead and would only be sort of chucked into a a, a council landfill site um and so they've been preserved uh, mm. uh yeah so she does that she she's uh, she stuffs things she makes here's one here's a this is a munchjack skull that's on the way to being reimagined had eyes put back in it and just becoming a dragon there's a whole load of stuff that she's you can find her online as phantasma cabria with a ph uh, phantasm I'll put a link underneath the video as oh, well so, yeah. yeah phantasma cabria there we go you can find her there yeah yeah she does that yeah. she does a lot of folk folk art as well so uh bits and pieces of t-shirts and prints and, and and things as well so she uh, does that you can order from her website uh and just a fa fabulous all-round creative individual who certainly doesn't mind getting up to her elbows in guts which i mean you know who doesn't want to say that about their partner <laughs> oh Jason! <laughs> <laughs> contributed my my love of macabre and dark stories. I don't know. Well, maybe contributed to uh, us uh, uh, us getting together. Who knows? Somewhere along, a little bit, a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B, maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right, we'll move on. <laughs> Please do. Um, right, what did we get to? That was, uh, oh, that was the weirdest, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, what's the worst food or drink that you've ever had? Well, gooseberries. I don't know why, but gooseberries make me sick. They make me rich. I don't know if it was yeah. some, some reaction as a child or whatever, you know. Um, but if I eat them, if I do that thing of, you know, you close off your nose so you can't taste anything. If yeah. I do that, it's fine. As soon as I can taste it, it's just a weird physical reaction because I'm quite good at eating stuff. Um, that and yeah. tripe. No. My dad loved tripe. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm tripe. with you on that. Um, and I really wanted to like, uh, you know, those little kind of wheatgrass shots that were trendy for a while. Everybody kind of going, oh, yeah, we take the wheatgrass. He comes to this juice bar and here we've got like a little seed tray and it's wheatgrass, which is wheat. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just sprouted. So it looks yeah. like grass. It's, it's, a, it's a grain. And cut them off. There we go. And little shots of really powerful green. I thought, oh, that looks groovy. I'll have some of that. And oh, God. Oh God, no! It was like, it was like an over. It was like if you could imagine the color green. If you can imagine overdosing on the color green, is what it was like. I like green, yeah, but it's like too much green, just too much green. I've never had one. No, it was a shame because I really wanted to like it. it was one of those, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Next question is: What's the most memorable meal you've ever had? So there's a couple. There's one that I made um, once, which was um, uh, I. It was a friend's um, stag do, and I organised it for him. And um, and we went out on a day's uh, falconry. And um, and so in this, of course, you got falcon. They're flying around. We went out into the fields, and uh, and they caught the, the the birds caught partridges um, because that's what falcons do. Um, and um, nobody else in the team, everybody else in the team was quite happy to watch a falcon kill and uh, catch and kill something. But then the idea of actually dealing, dealing with anything, there was a bit, oh, no. So I took a, a, a brace of partridges and I took them home and uh, cooked them with parsnips that I'd grown, served them with, in a berry jus made from berries that I'd gathered in the forest. I just got some elderberries and some blackberries and made a little bit of a sauce with it um, uh, and served, served it with a, a nettle wine. And so everything on there had either been caught, grown or foraged. Uh, so I was quite pleased with that. Um, nice. But um, last year, the family, we all went to Iceland uh, and it was the first time I'd ever eaten horse. Um, and it was the most succulent and flavourful red meat I've ever had. Mm. Horse steak, and there those horses are, you know, um, that's what people do, and that's what people have done for the last thousand years in Iceland. Mm. Um, a lot of countries don't eat horses; some some do, but that was it was fabulous. So, uh, yeah, so somewhere between those two uh, and a few other bits and pieces. Funnily right. enough, it, because of the way I record stuff, it's going to go out after this. But there is an episode where we cook and eat horse in Denmark. Ah, okay. But because it's part of a series I recorded back in the summer, they're slowly coming out, and yours is coming out for Halloween, so it's going to come out. I think it'll be the episode after this one. Oh, right. Um, yeah, we end up we're cooking throughout the episode, but we end up getting hungry, just eat it, and then finish the podcast at the end. So you don't see us actually eat it, but it was very nice. It was a real horse broth, so it cooked in like cheese. Oh, wow. Um, they did a separate one for Emma because of dairy allergy. We had like honey and mustard with it. So, yeah. Oh yeah. 
Very nice. Yeah, this was just a this was just a steak, and it was the most succulent yeah. steak I ever, ever I've ever had. Yeah. yeah, and it's what I imagine mm. what beef should taste like. So bad news after all this recording. Yeah, you've died. Oh, and uh, your family and friends are preparing your grave goods. What oh, food and drink yeah. are you taking to Valhalla? So um, I did some research. Uh, uh, on this, I thought I would ask other people what uh, what they said, and so um, yeah, I, I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna read some of the responses because some of these. So this is my phone, not a, not a small Bible, um, <laughs> uh, and uh, 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 I've got got a few responses. So this is um, uh, from some of my audience members, um, uh, and oh, it's quite a long list. I'll just pick up mead. Someone said mead. It's got to be mead. It's the poet's brew. It's uh, those of you who know your Norse mythology, Kvasir, who makes the uh, the mead of poetry. Um, uh, mushrooms and wine. There you go. This, I, I love taking pictures of mushrooms. I do like a good yeah. mushroom. Um, uh, someone said bacon because we all need the cure. See what they did there. That was very good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, someone has written um, <laughs> oh yeah, absinthe and a pickled egg, which I think is a, a, a good. Good fun thing. A bottle of Talisker, you know why they've written. I don't. I don't. They've written it. <laughs> it's a friend of mine who's written that, and I don't know why. Um, oh, nice. A steak for Cerberus, a cake for the ferryman, and chocolate to give your wife when you meet her again. Oh, plus Harry Bows. You can never go wrong with a bag of Harry Bows, says someone. Um, so I that's can't imagine Vikings in Valhalla with a bag of Harry Bows. Would you like a Harry Bow? <laughs> what is Harry Bow? Um, <laughs> that's what some, some of my, the, the, the audience uh, uh, have, have said. Um, yeah. Some of my friends have said, oh, we go mead again. Mead's a popular one here. Hmm. Um, and also uh, steak and chips with sauce, tomato, okay, and rum to drink. A large hmm. mead horn, homegrown herb butter, and roadkill venison. There we go. Oh, and the deer horns as a grave marker. There we go. Okay. Um, uh, 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 mead and a hog roast, Bell's whiskey. Ah, oh, again, this and I understand that one. I shared a bottle of Bell's whiskey over an evening with someone around uh, a fire. Pack of Scotch eggs, okay. Um, uh, uh, and mead again. Uh, and I also asked uh, my partner uh, Kim, uh, and she said, uh, "Dirty mead." Now, dirty mead is 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 uh, what we drank on the day that we met, where I happened to have some rum with me. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it was at a festival. It was at a, a, a heathen festival, a Viking festival, North Fest, North North festival. So there was a mead bar, and I happened to have some yeah. rum with. Me. So in the spirit of you know, like a martini, a dirty martini, you drop a little bit of uh, the the uh, the salt from the olive juice from yeah. the orange. It's the same, but you just get mead and you put rum in it, and nothing can possibly go wrong when you put mead and rum together in large quantities. Um. Uh, my son said coffee and a roast. <laughs> um, yeah. There we go. So a lot. So out of that, I think yeah. some, some sort of roast meat. On people said ale and roast pheasant and uh, uh, and various bits and pieces. So I'm going to mm. go. For, probably going to go for some mead. Probably go for some dirty mead and uh, a big thing of moose ribs. Moose ribs. God, that's very specific. Yeah. Well, I just they're massive. Yeah. Awesome. Flintstone style. Well, if we could go yeah. back, I'll go for mammoth ribs. You know, depending on kind of how I can go, you know, go back. All That's my... risky, though, isn't it? Because you've never tried mammoth, so That's you true. could choose that and then get them. And go, like, oh my god, they're horrible. Like tripe and gooseberries, and I'm like, yeah, really disappointing. 
you're right. Do you know what? I'll go for yeah. I'll go for beef ribs or or something venison or something. Yeah. You said moose. Have you tried moose? No. Have you? No. 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 That's why I wondered what it tasted like. But yeah, what are they? They are they deer? It's got to be gamey, like venison, I guess. Yeah, but... and they're big, so there'll be different cuts. So there'll yeah, there'll be a. Uh... Uh, tough bit. actually i think i have had moose but i think it was in a sausage which doesn't really count because <laughs> Do you, know what? you can put all sorts of things in the sausage and it still kind of comes out tasting like yeah sausage and yeah. whatever things you put in it yeah the first time i had horse it was in a sausage and because it was like horse and pork sausage it was just like yeah it's a sausage are you sure it was you know not wanted to quote quote blackadder but you know a suspicious sausage from uh, your horse a suspicious horse sausage <laughs> Yes, it may have been. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> I go for um, yeah. something big and big, big and big and ribby, uh, yeah. uh, uh, with dirty mead, and probably something nice and green to flush it. You know, to cleanse the palate. Something nice and vegetable to cleanse the palate afterwards. Yeah. So not a shot of wheatgrass. No. No, <laughs> that's not in Valhalla. That's when you go down to Helheim. That's when you. That's when that's all they eat all day long. Gooseberry and tripe washed down with. Uh, washed down with wheatgrass shots. Best hope you go to Valhalla then. <laughs> yeah, die in battle somehow. It's not. It's quite unlikely, isn't it? To be fair. Yeah. Well, heroic. Die heroically. Yeah. It doesn't have to be in battle. You could be saving someone. Yeah. You know, sort of in in active in positive active service and not you know. Because I mean, you could be you could be in battle and be an administrator, and I don't think that allows you into Valhalla, doesn't it? Does it? If you're at the edge of the field. Uh -huh. Counting. Yeah, you've got to be in there. Yeah. You've got to be doing stuff. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? I mean, I don't know. You could try and argue the case when you get there and be like, Bastards. "No, no, no, I was." <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll find. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because judges yeah. always love um, judges and people doing that. Always love someone who argues. A, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, I think you should let me in. Actually, I was the battle strategist. <laughs> yeah, I think if it wasn't for me, that battle wouldn't have happened at all. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You remind me as well, your your dirty mead. Yeah. I forget what's in in this book. You know Rich Blackett, don't you? Yes. Did a show yes. with him. Yeah. We're going to be doing another yeah. one in a, in a short while. Selkies and Werewales. I'm trying to remember what it's called. I don't know. Well, at least I think I put it in this book. We did a book for AUK years ago. Maybe it's not in here. Oh, it's not. It must be in the other one. Um, but he does something else, and that was like... Um, I'm sure he calls it idiot mead. It's oh, been a while since I've seen it. And it's just like, I think it's it's vodka put into something because it's it, he didn't have time to actually make mead one year. So he just like... Oh, okay. Just like on a honey and vodka or something, just to kind of... Yeah, it's it, been years since I've thought about it, but I have got it in a book. I'm going to have to double check what it was, but I'll, it is something like that. It's like, yeah. 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 yeah, I don't recommend, by the way, mead and rum in large quantities together because they have to turn you into an idiot quite quickly. Yeah. So they go, oh, the meat oh, this is, this doesn't taste very strong at all. Ooh, there we go. And then you had that sound effect ready to go, didn't you? It's <laughs> all <Sort of laughs> effect. Uh, right. So you're going to, I'm trying to think, well, the best way to do this, so you're going to tell us a story. But I reckon if we close the podcast first, so we don't forget to do all your plugs and stuff. Do that. What? Because you've got to go. Yeah, I've I've heard I've heard 
I've had enough. I'm off now. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So where can people find you? Um, so um, if you like Facebook, then that's the place where I spend most of my time. So if you go on Facebook and just search for Jason Buck Storyteller, um, or you can just Google me and you'll probably come up with uh, my website, um, the ways of contact. Actually, I did that this morning. Yes. Uh, American football player comes up. First. Oh, yeah, you have to put storyteller. Otherwise, I'm an American football player. I'm a text yeah. senator. Uh, I'm a supplier of ecclesiastical paraphernalia. There's, uh, and, and it's something to do with netball. And yeah, you have to put storytellers. A lot of outside the UK, there's just Jason Bucks all over America. So Jason You Buck were the second on the list still when I just put Jason Buck. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, footballer then. And I thought, should we ask him about the football career? But no, we'll <laughs> stick to storytelling. On Twitter, I keep getting tagged. Uh, yeah, and it was it was a great game. And we kind of see that, you know, that the Jeffs and the Bridge Cup. And whatever you're about. I'd have to go, um, I think you've got the wrong Jason. But we <laughs> to each other until eventually someone realises. But I should own it. I'm just going to go, yeah, it was great. I'm no good at football, but I'll just take some pictures of me. <laughs> Retired football player now yeah. tells stories. <laughs> So yeah, so yeah, they can Google you, find your website, storyteller, and then you'll yeah. find me on the favorite platform. But Facebook is the is the place where I do most things. But on Facebook and also on um, my website is also where you'll find my events, um, and some of those are live, depending on where you are. Only in the UK, unfortunately. Um, but if you'd like to invite me to somewhere around the, the world, please do. Um, but my uh, my stuff around the UK, but I do also do lots of stuff online, which of course is, is global. And all the stuff that I arrange online, you can watch live or watch later. So quite often, people in time zones outside uh, convenience will will uh, um, I uh, the, the the show is recorded and then um, uh, and then it gets uh, uh, the link gets sent through to the ticket holders uh, afterwards, and that's just a link for the ticket holders, not a public not a public link. But it's coming up for Halloween as well. I'll, I will have by the time you yeah. see this, I will have done a, a bunch of stuff. But on Halloween night itself, I will be doing Twisted Tales for Halloween uh, with my sister. Last year, in two nights time. That's right. There we go. Boop, 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 boop. And Jason yeah. Buck, storyteller. Uh, so you can watch live online or watch later. Uh, she's actually yeah. based in France in the hilariously named town of Condom. That's in France. I used to have a really big <laughs> bag for life that just said Condom on it, you know, and with pictures of, you know, churches and bridges and things over rivers and stuff. But yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, last year we did something live and did a whole sellout tour which was great live but this year uh, she's still in france so we're doing doing something online there you can also find yeah. my books and here's a little sample of some of my books my lovely books here which contain mostly original stories and some of them are i mean anyone that's paying attention will notice there's one behind me look too yeah, I've got one of yeah. yes uh, see so which i believe you signed for me i may well have done surely I could that I could raid your bank account. Yeah, it was my uh, oh, my moustache was larger back in the back in those days. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. Ah. Um, yeah, so that's where you can find me. Look up Jason Buck Storyteller, and you'll find me, or or yeah. an American football player. Your choice. You make that choice then, which way you want to go. Awesome. Right. So Jason's going to tell us a story to close the episode now. Yeah. So in case you've been wondering what he's doing this whole time, he's a storyteller. <laughs> Uh, and he's going to give you a little free demonstration of what he does. Um, and I think the best thing for me right now is to mute my microphone and leave it in your hands. So otherwise the thing might cut between us if I like cough or something. Yeah, you don't want that. Like, you're going to go, you're in the background yeah. going, he started. He started. Bring me a beer. Bring me a beer. What? And yeah. Then, Emma. Where's the beer? 
<laughs> yeah, so I'll mute myself and I'll come back in and, and we'll say bye at the end. Okay. All right. As it's Halloween, as it's autumn, I'm going to tell you a Halloween or autumn story. Because far to the north and far to the east is a land. A land where the summers are short and the winters are long and full of ice and the forest covers all. And in that land, this time of year, the dead are welcomed at the hearth or home. Not the skeletons or the bodies that the mortal carriage of the soul, but those spirits of the dear departed who have yet to move on, those who are held here for some special unfinished purpose, the souls of the dear departed who have remained. And on a certain time, on a certain day, around about this time of year, of an evening, a honeyed cake and a glass of strong spirits are left by the hearth for the dead who are welcomed in that home. Now, some people say this is a, it's a, a ritual, a way of dealing with grief, a way of finding solace in action. But there are others who say that if a honeyed cake and a glass of strong spirits are left by the hearth in the morning, that hearth has been swept and the fire that has been laid there burns hotter and longer than any fire they could lay and the cake and the drink are gone. But not so, not so pleasant a hereafter for those who are lost. Those who travel deep into the forests and are lost in the forests, lost deep in the woods. No quiet tended grave, no being laid to rest with tears and sadness for those souls who are lost deep in that forest. Lost. Lost like the young woman who on her wedding night, her house was attacked as she lay in her husband's arms and he was killed and she was left to fly into the forest deep between the trees and find herself lost and lost there. No honeyed cakes, no strong spirits, but just the unending pain of the lost love that the ghost feels for her dead husband. Her bridal gown torn and taken to line the nests of crows. Her bones gnawed by foxes and pierced by tree roots and clothed in thick emerald green velvet moss and studded with garnet coloured mushrooms that soften and blacken amongst the quiet of the pines. Sometime after this, Another young woman was making her way to her betrothed. She was on her way to be married and she was being escorted by her father and her two brothers when deep in the forest and far from help they were set upon. Set upon by bandits and thieves and whilst the men fought bravely to defend themselves and their sister, their daughter, she, she fled into the forest. And the deeper she ran into those trees, the more she could hear behind her the sounds of her pursuers baying like hunting hounds as they ran behind her, getting closer and closer on her heels. 
Further and further and deeper and deeper into the forest they both ran. Deeper amongst those high, tall, pillared trunks of pines that grew closer and closer together as the sunlight grew dimmer and dimmer as hunter and hunted plunged deeper into the heart of the forest. At one point the young woman stumbled and fell, fell down onto her face, landing in a soft, deep, pungent carpet of pine needles. What she didn't notice was that as she fell, her, her hand landed on top of a, a bone, a, a finger bone. A finger bone that still carried a ring, a woman's wedding ring. But as she stumbled back up to her feet, she didn't realise that her hand closed around that bone and that ring. And as she scrambled up and began to hurtle pell-mell deeper into the forest again, running away from those men who were getting closer, this time as she ran, that bone and that ring in her hand, this time mist drifted off her and flowed out behind her in long white gossamer strands like the train of a silk white wedding dress. The men pursuing her didn't notice the, the chill fog. They didn't notice the unseasonable cold as it dragged its nails down their shins. They were too hot and hungry in pursuit of their prey, who eventually, exhausted, fell down onto the floor. There, finding herself at the foot of a cliff in this forest, down she fell, down onto the leaves, down into that mist and that fog that had pooled everywhere on the ground, and it rolled back and rolled over her like the waves of the ocean and settled on top of her, concealing her. Well, the men slowed down, grinning and hungry for their prize, looking for her, waiting for her to emerge once more from the fog. But what did emerge from the fog? The figure that stood up from that mist was not the woman they had been pursuing. This figure had a womanly shape, but mist and fog cascaded and rolled down her whole body, again very much like a silk wedding dress clinging close to that feminine form. But that feminine form, if ever it had been beautiful in life, now was horrific and a host to long-brooded vengeance. The very forest itself. The roots, the twigs, the leaves, the things that crawl and chitter in the litter on the floor, all combined and bound to make a form. A rough sketch of hair and body and gnarled, knotted sinews. And as it stood there, this thing made from the forest, clothed and veiled as if ready for its wedding. In the silence that followed, there was a creak, like the sound of a branch in the autumn wind as roots and vines rolled over one another to allow her to open wide her moulded moor. And then that figure, that horror, screamed. And as she screamed, the horrors of the night poured from her mouth, and the air was filled with the howling of wolves and the fluttering of moths and the shrieking of bats and black red-eyed Rats poured like sanguine from her mouth and down her front. 
And those men who hadn't already run screaming into the darkness of their forests to meet their own lonely fates stood still fixed to the ground, not just by fear, but by reaching roots that stretched and grabbed and entwined and entangled them and held them to the ground. And as those roots and vines crept up and crawled and squeezed them, the creatures that lived in the holes in trees and in holes in the ground and burrows began to emerge and bite and tear at those men who screamed for their mothers as the roots and the vines squeezed them. And as each found they had reached their worst, then that figure, that awful figure, processed towards each of them in turn, like a bride processing down an aisle. And with each of them in turn, she kissed them. A kiss that was filled with the sweetness of pine needles and leaf mould as soft forest earth poured into their mouths and filled their throats. When the young woman woke up, she was not far from the path and found herself being cradled by her father who had a makeshift bandage around his head and he was weeping with happiness at finding his daughter alive and unwounded. He took her to where her brothers were resting and recovering, just close to the path from where she had fled. But she couldn't remember what had happened after she had fled the path. She couldn't remember where she had run to and certainly couldn't remember where the ring that she was now wearing on her finger. She couldn't remember where that had come from or where she had found it. But after she was happily married and her wedding ring placed next to the forest ring on her finger, after she was happily married, her baby slept longer and sounder than any of her neighbours. And on a certain night of the year, Around this time, if she left a honeyed cake and a glass of strong spirits by the hearth, well, the next morning the hearth was cleaner than she could ever sweep it, the fire that she had laid there burned hotter and longer than any she could ever burn, and no man, no wolf, no monster ever came out of that forest to bother that village for a whole generation. Thank you. A mute quick. <laughs> Just <Very> silence. <laughs> oh, that was really good. Lost Lady of the Pines for a nice autumnal Halloweeny story. Yes, and it makes me want to go and make honey cakes and put whiskey on my hearth. There you go. You have to. You got to do it now. Yeah. It's got yeah. to see what you know whether it's still there in the morning. Oh wow. Emma might drink it. <laughs> well, is it? Well, do the old Santa Claus thing. <laughs> We're just putting this honeyed cake in this by the by the hearth. <laughs> More coke. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> when my son was little, we always used to um, uh, at Christmas time because uh, we quite often had uh, uh, open fires there, and he had the ash there, and was to draw a fake footprint. Yeah. Next to the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. 
I'm sure he reached an age where I think he was colluding with us on the, you know, he knew it wasn't Father Christmas, especially as one of them was a, one of those coal-fired things that's like a box uh, yeah. with a tiny blue. But, uh, but it's magic. Anyway, it's all magic. It's all magic. Yeah. yeah. I might have to cut that case case ocean lessons. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Being as she's only almost seven, she's still oh, in yeah. that world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. If I was just listening to, I was just pretending then. Yeah, it's Father Christmas, definitely. And yeah. whoever the cake and the carrots or the other whatever drinks or whatever it is, it's Father Christmas. Problem is, if I put honey cakes and whiskey out now, I feel like if I have them, I'm going to have to be the one to sweep the chimneys. <laughs> there you go. Well, myself work. Yeah, that's the penalty. You. Uh, that's the penalty. It's not sweeping the chimney. It's just the hearth. Just you know, kind of. Oh, okay. Well, that's not too bad. It's not. It's not doing the chimneys. <laughs> It's not a Dickensian kind of tiny chimney. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, we've been talking for nearly two hours. Right. It's so, been, um, been a good chat. Yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, good. Um, and yeah, thank you everybody for listening. And I will see you next time. Goodbye. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed the podcast and want to hear more, remember to like and subscribe and give me a rating. For recipes and ideas, visit my website, saxonforager.co.uk. I also have three cookbooks available to buy on Amazon worldwide. These are Eat Like a Viking Volumes 1 and 2, and Eat Like a Halfling. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear more, remember to like and subscribe and give the show a rating. You can also help keep the show going by becoming a Patreon, where you'll get early access to all episodes. Or check out my range of merch on my store. Links are in the episode description. Thanks for listening. <laughs>